Hey, folks, and uh, welcome to the Artist Exchange Radio Show here live only on the BXToolsRadio.com. I'm your host, as always, Nate Hauser. I have a special guest with us on this Friday, uh, Mr. Derek Ebert. Am I saying it right? Okay, yeah. I was practicing it. I was practicing that all day. Um, and today we're going to talk a little bit about who he is, well, a lot about who he is, what he does, uh, writing, being a poet. Uh, this new, this new, new uh, phase for writers now, uh, thanks to the lovely young lady who graced our presence uh, on inauguration day. She's given a, a bigger spotlight than it already was because I, I hear a lot of people saying it's coming back, but I don't really think it's gone anywhere. Uh, writing and spoken word in that in that fashion, uh, performance art in general. Um, but before we do, just some some good uh, house cleaning. Uh, this is Big Exposed Radio. It's a Black-owned station in the Baltimore DMV area. Uh, you can hear it from wherever you have internet connection. Uh, we need your help in supporting us. Uh, so you can go to our YouTube page at Big Exposed Radio. Like, share, subscribe, all those things. Uh, tell a friend. If you're looking for a home for a show, this is the place for you. We help you not only jumpstart uh, a brand new idea, but we help you to kind of revamp an idea you already have. If you already have a show and you're looking for a new home, if you have an idea for a show and you need a home, Be Exposed Radio is the place to be. Um, don't forget the Artist Exchange is, uh, we haven't changed our hours, but we have cut um, uh, Mondays at five uh, just for season. Uh, I need a little bit of a break being a teacher, an artist, and all those things. I just need a little break sometimes. Uh, and not only that, but I've started a new podcast. That's why I'm, I kind of need a break. So I'm on the Binge Worthy Podcast series, a series that uh, examines the impact of Black film actors and the arts, uh, both in TV and film. And as soon as this pandemic is over, we'll be uh, dissecting some plays uh, uh, and musical events as well. And that's the Binge Worthy Podcast. It comes on every Tuesday at 3 p.m. with myself and my co-host, G. Oliver. Uh, and it's uh, we, we kind of look at the social, cultural, and uh, historical impact of these films. Not all of them are Black films. Not all of them are great films. But they're films nevertheless, and we're going to talk about them. And we think you need to tune in. So do that. So I got the Ben Brady podcast and I got the Artist Exchange Radio show here live on Big Exposed Radio. So I'm a little bit busy. So excuse me if I don't always be where everybody needs me. And, and sidebar, uh, for the people who are still sending me requests to come places, I, if you got a slob stream, I'll tune in. I'll buy a ticket. In, but right now, uh, Rona is on these streets and... Uh, this is the confounds of my social media and social distancing. Uh, so <laughs> without further ado, I want to uh, welcome my guest today, Mr. Derek, uh, to the Artist Exchange Radio Show. I've been trying to uh, book you since you became uh, the Poet Laureate. Uh, wow. So I've been looking through your messages. I've been sending you messages. 
Uh, but uh, there are a few artists that I, that I well, I, I follow a lot of artists, but certain individuals who I just enjoy your work. I first saw you perform uh, when uh, your your group, the young organization that you were with, when you first became Port Lord, y'all did an event at the uh, Pratt Library, downtown the main library. And I saw you perform and I thought your piece, and it wasn't just about the spectacle and all the oohs and eyes and the snaps that you, you do, which is, you're very well at your performance, but it was content. I'm, I'm big on, uh, especially uh, young artists in their content and not just doing things for say. So how you doing, sir? Doing well, Nate. Thank you for having me on the platform. I really do appreciate it. Um, and no complaints on this side. None at all. I mean, I just noticed he got the Lord fireplace in the background. This this vibing out a little bit. Okay. Let me, you know, next time I'm gonna get my fireplace in the screen so people can see me mellowing out and such. But uh it's been a minute since you won Poet Laureate, and you've been doing a lot before then, after then. What what has life been? You an adult now. Last time I saw you perform, you were a teenager. So you're a grown man now. So I know a whole grown man. It doesn't it doesn't even feel like it sometimes. Um, the bills will tell you otherwise. The bills will tell you otherwise. Yes, yeah, they will. They will. They will. And everything else that goes on, you know, thinking about marriage and things like that too. Life oh. is just. I know, right? Life is just grown man real, stuff. Grown, real grown man stuff. <laughs> Um, man, after that run at being youth poet laureate for a year, um, when I passed the torch on in 2016, um, I continued it. I don't know if you, you knew, but I was at University of Baltimore for a while. When I graduated in 2017, I went up to New York and I was, I was up in New York for a good three years, man. Um, and I loved, hated it. Like I never liked New York as a, uh, as a kid. Like I had never, okay. I had never, because it was all that, like the hype. I'm not, I'm, I'm not yeah. one to follow the hype in the bus. So it's like, oh, New York, everybody want to go to New York. Everybody want to live, move to New York. And I was the last person. I'm like, no, I really don't. But grad school and the school offered me money. And like, it's so a got to go to New York. <laughs> like, I, like, I got to go to New York. I don't want to go to New York. New York want me to go there. So I was like, all right, I'm out Baltimore. Um, and then, yeah, I got my master's in writing. And I thought, you know what? because I had this opportunity to be out of Maryland, like a lot of people in my family hadn't had the opportunity. And, and a lot of people, like I know, even in New York, now I'm not even talking about Baltimore. You can ask a bunch of people in New York, hey man, how, have you ever lived outside of the state or the city? And they'll be like, no. They'll be like, no. I'll be like, traveled outside the country. And I get that some people may not have been afforded that opportunity, but I wanted to stay in New York for another year because I was like, while I'm out, let me take advantage of this opportunity. Because mm -hmm. if I come back soon, I may, I may have ruined something for me. I may find something yeah. in Baltimore, but why not just see what's out there? And so I was at Bard College up in like the boonies of New York, up by like Albany. It's like an hour. Oh, wow. So it's like the mountains. Every day I worked, I was a residence life of uh, like RAs. I was like their boss. So every day I'd wake up to like mountains and shit. And for me, being from the city, it was a new experience. So yeah. I'm back though. Long story to wrap it all up, to wrap it all up, whatever I've been up to. I've been in New York, I've been up to the mountains, I've still been writing, been, you know, been still doing all that. Now I'm back in Maryland. And and it's and speaking of people in their four block radius, uh, we were talking about Cherry Hill before we came on live. Uh, and and various places like Baltimore, city atmospheres can sometimes keep you confound and it's not always um 
Sometimes it's the opportunity, sometimes it's the money, but sometimes it's it's uh, representation. It's also, uh, if your parents didn't travel the world, what reason would you have or right. what idea would you have in traveling the world or seeing other places? And, and you can be international from any address. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying everybody needs to go to Singapore and New York and London and but do what you feel compelled to do, but just get outside of your neighborhood at some point. You know, um, I remember the first time I got out of Baltimore is when I was probably like 17. I don't think I was supposed to be, but uh, that's when the Greyhound station was downtown. Uh, well, it was it's still downtown, but it was closer to uh, the downtown area off of Howard Street. And I remember walking past the Greyhound station, like I'm underwear. You know, and I went in and I just saw all the locations and the price. And my first trip was to New York because I've always been an artist. So I just, me and a friend, we took a, a train, a bus up to uh, New York. And it was, that's what it was. Now, I have been able to travel. My mother always took us on vacations. But it's nothing like deciding for yourself and making that voyage on your own uh, with your own money. Uh, <laughs> but uh it, sometimes it's it's the best way to think. I always tell people, you know, everybody does isn't afforded scholarships, but go to a community college or your local college for a year or two and then transfer out, get good grades, and then you can transfer out. Most people with PhDs and masters will tell you that's a lot of them who were educationally successful have told you. They may have started at a community college or a local college and then got the ability to transfer out or do their master's degree or, you know, continue education somewhere else. But it is nothing like seeing the city. And I, most performers, most artists, it's, it's not for me, it was never the vibe of New York. It was just, you know, you it, anything is possible there. And just being around all of that energy, all those people, you're bound to like run into somebody you either know or somebody you can connect with on your creative level. Um, in, in terms of you coming back to Baltimore, uh, what do you miss about New York? Honestly, the food. Mm. The food was a different um, cultural experience, even a street food. Like we was just talking about chicken boxes before the show, but like <laughs> there I was closer to the Bronx. And so like never before, never in Baltimore, had, I don't, I've never heard somebody in Baltimore be like, yo, where can I go to get a good empanada? Mm. Like, but up in Bronx, get a couple good empanadas now in the city. Yeah, but like up in the Bronx, you could like that's the thing. It's at least where I was at. It was like that's the food. That's the food you're gonna eat if that's the you know the environment you're in or like the people you might be hanging around. It's just a different different food. Uh, so that's something I miss. And then definitely upstate, like in uh, being in upstate, being away from the city, from the noise, like waking up to like literally deer running across the field. I'm talking about some real crazy, this one for me, it's just so crazy to think about it. But like, I miss the quiet. I like the quiet, like you go, you know that you go outside and you just don't, there's no, you don't hear no cops. You don't hear, like most you hear people talking like in their dorm maybe. It might be a party going on on campus that you might hear. That might be across campus, but the it's so quiet that you can hear what's going on on the other side of the of the campus, you know? Right. Right. So I miss that for sure. But I'm I'm happy to be back. You know, Baltimore, when I was up there, I, I wanted to leave. Like I could have I left on my own accord uh, leaving Bart and I wanted to come back just because I wanted to be rooted in something that was familiar to me. 
And I wanted to be back so closer to my family. Like this whole COVID shit was popping off. I was like, I ain't being up here working at a college with college kids that will not really, you know, they'll listen, but some college kids won't. They'll party, yo. Mm. I, I'm not, I won't be responsible. I was like, I don't, I'm not trying to be that, be that responsible for this. So you fresh, you fresh back home. So that's, fresh, that's fresh. cool. Yeah. I mean, but New York was a great first time excursion living outside the city. I think that would be a great, uh, because there, New York is so huge, but yet it's still so small because there's micro communities all over. So you can explore a little bit of the world going around New York. New York is just one of those places. Um, today, because I have you, uh, you know, of course, we want to we want to get out some of the angst. We in a new um, political climate in the city. We're in the midst of a pandemic. We you know, we are kind of licking our wounds from four years of Trumpism. Uh, what did the last four years do to you creative? You were away from home and you were in the midst of just all this new crazy chaos going on at one time. Uh, what, what did that do to you creatively or how did it help you or influence you creatively? That's a really good question. Um, because when I left, like really Trump being elected and then that year I was at UB, I was finishing up that year at UB and then mm -hmm. leaving and then having to go and be in a whole nother place while being going through the duration of Trump's presidency. Honestly, I wrote a lot less, a lot mm -hmm. less. Um, I started to listen a lot more because a lot of more people were doing talk a lot, you know, a lot of talking. I was like, well, let me quiet my, like, I felt like my soul was just like, Shh. and mm. going through it, going through it, I imagine it is like, I mean, at that time it was like, yo, I, I just have a lot of writer's block. Like it's something wrong with me. It's something wrong with me. Like I can't get anything out. Like what's going on. But I really found that it's like, no, you just, while other people, a lot of people are talking now, not everybody is saying something that's purposeful or meaningful. So mm. it's like quiet so you can hear what you really need to hear, write a little less, and you'll say a lot more, right. you know? Um, and so I wrote, I, I still have been writing, I haven't been writing at a frequency that maybe like a lot of my peers, but I find that the things that I do right now have way more meaning to me than like any of the work that I created while I was youth poet laureate or like even starting into poetry i'm like yo like i create some bangers at least for me and it's for me too it's like i create mm -hmm. that i really i can feel that i resonate with and I, I would say this pandemic was the very first time that i got to be still because i try to distract myself throughout his presidency with you know doing plays and you know taking more teaching jobs and being a visual like i tried to just feel my stuff my, my schedule up with creativity and just kept myself from watching the news or listening to sound bites. And you can't, because well, you, you come over here, people want to talk about it. Uh, but this pandemic has, was that hush for me. Uh, and it allowed me to see people for who they really were. And it forced me to see myself for who I really was. It, it forced me to really examine and be aware of myself and my surroundings at large um, and get more in tune with with my focus uh, and coming off of Trump, it was just, um, I felt like I was in one, in Selma, like at that space. I felt like I was in one of those types of movies uh, and creativity came to a halt for me because so it's interesting for you saying you wrote less 
how how were you taking notes or were you just in the moment of what you were doing and just being more aware of it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. It kind of cut off a little bit, the Wi-Fi, that last part. Could you repeat yourself? So uh, in, in terms of uh, being through all of that, did it, did it, inf- you, I knew you said you didn't write as much, but how were you taking notes or how were you keeping track of, okay, I'm going to store this back here. So how were you kind of mentally taking notes or what, right. what, what was your process for just being more aware? Right. So mm, when I hear like the mentally taking notes and especially during that time in grad school, I would like, there are things I can, like new strategies, I guess I picked up on. And this is where I was mm-hmm. like, I, I was, I was just looking really up looking and observing. Um, but like I had a friend in grad school, her name was, her name is TC. She's still here. Her name is TC. And she was, mm-hmm. um, one of the things I used to do is basically like she, she suggested, uh, instead of writing things down as often using like the voice recorder on your phone. Cause oh, okay. then you can document things anywhere. You don't gotta, like, I don't know if you've ever had this, if you like writing something down or you're like, Oh shit, I gotta find a pen or a pencil. And like, I mean, you could use maybe the notes on your phone, but by the time you do that, you're trying to write the thing out. You forget mm-hmm. it. Like, it's kind of like, it's losing. It's, it's escaping you as you can do it. The more you continue to type. And I was right. like, so for me, like during that time, if it ever came to writing something creative down or an idea, Honestly, just put the record button on, like record yourself, create content. What I would do is record myself and like go throughout the day and just talk out loud, you know, and like my phone is going to record it. I'll play it back and like listen, be like, oh, that was something cool that I said. Or like I could be anywhere and I'd be like, yo, I've recorded this conversation. Like I don't even remember, but like there's some there's some um, meat in here that I can use maybe for a piece. Mm. In terms of. So undergrad is is different because you still have your same level of social um, uh, socializing and communicating. And you were still home at the time. But on a grad school level, what was the difference? Man, let me tell you, (laughs) I didn't know how to cook when I got to grad school. I really didn't. I had friends. I had because like I'm a mama's boy. And, you know, I lived like you said, I lived at home. I was living at home while I was going to undergrad. So like I had things provided for me. And if my, if I wasn't eating none of the food, my mom cooked, I was using the money at my job to pay for food. So, you know, whatever. But I get to grad school. I'm living on campus. This is like my first time, first college, ex- real college experience of living on campus, grad school. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, microwaving, like doing all the, just the undergrad stuff, nourishment for my body, which isn't healthy. And uh, so that was like that even in itself, grad school was a really um, like I just had to mature faster. Like and you've pulled or yet when you, you brought that up earlier, like that caused me to mature faster as an artist. But then like grad school caused me to mature faster as like an adult and as a human being to provide right. for myself. So, yeah, that's <laughs> in grad school. I learned a lot about writing, but I learned a lot about cooking, too, and how to take care of myself. And, and, and sometimes cook- a lot of people recently have been kind of putting down the idea of black people going to college or higher education in terms of we don't need it, especially if you're a performing artist or artist in general, we don't need it. You know, uh, but I've always told people the experiences that you have in college and not just with other people, but with yourself, which you learn, you know, the habits that you kind of break and then develop at the same time. Uh, that is the experience that you sometimes don't get on, 
from the hard knocks of like education or YouTube university. You don't right. always get that experience, especially if you get to stay on campus. You don't right. always get that. That's a that's a whole nother um, experience living with somebody, you know, uh, and and you're not you, you used to having your room and now you sharing a room or you sharing a suite uh, or bathrooms and yes. learning people's behavior and human behavior in terms of getting along and introducing yourself and networking and yes. just being a fellow classmate of somebody you learn so much and i tell people at least try it one time it's not it may not be for everybody i'll say it that way but right. try it one time because you'll learn a lot about yourself people and you'll definitely grow you'll be yeah. forced to yeah. sink or swim uh if you will yeah yeah. What what have what have you learned about yourself as an adult so far? How old are you anyway? Twenty five. Okay. What? So you in a you in a good space right now where you still, you know, you you holding on to youth, but uh, thirty is you know a, a, a good sprint away. Uh, but what have you learned about yourself up into twenty five? You are definitely right about holding on to that youth. What have I learned about myself at 25? I'll say a recent discovery um, that I've learned about myself is to trust my process. Okay. Like, this might sound bad, but it's not. Because for me, it's my process. Like, I don't, typically somebody might see, or I would sometimes see the work that I do when I create. Like, mm -hmm. if it's for an open mic or for a feature, or if I'm commissioned to do something, I gestate. And I did learn this from grad school. Like, mm. I actually learned this from reading some poems in grad school, oddly enough, that had not, maybe that had nothing to do with it, but like, like a, how a bird will, um, get its, get its nest together. It'll just like pick up, you know, go fly and get, get some trash. And it's like slowly, like just gestate, like build this nest out of nothing. And like, mm. that's how I, and then the, the, it'll keep adding and adding and adding until eventually it's complete until like, there's this birth that happens, which is like the eggs and the, and the chicks or whatever. But up until mm -hmm. that, the nest is never really done so like what i've learned about myself is that with my own process like for me a poem is never complete it's never really complete um mm -hmm. but two like the work doesn't have to be on a physical sheet of paper for me to for it to be like oh i have something like i have i've learned to just trust my my computer up here be like mm -hmm. i got it like i got the poem like i have all these different observations and inspiration stored up here um it's just waiting for that God moment or that, that moment where I can, like my soul is like, okay, now we're ready. Let's press play. And like the poem will come out. Or, like I'll have a night or be like, damn, I'm going to like the studio tomorrow. Like literally this has happened. Like yeah, I'm going to the studio tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I, ain't got a, I ain't got a song for the studio, but I've collected all these experiences with me for two weeks. I've known I was going to go right. to the studio. All right, bet. Let me like, this is where I press play, I activate it. And then I can just like, so it's like, yeah, always be prepared. Trust myself, but trust myself that I will show up and, and still be prepared. Just do things that help me be prepared, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. So one of the things, so you're wearing your Do More Baltimore shirt, and people who are outside of the DMV who haven't been beat by either the youth or the adult Do More team uh, and don't been living under a rock uh, with all the awards and accolades that you all have collected. Uh, that is a that is a training ground that uh, I got to see because I went to a number of the events that the youth and the adult uh, slam teams have put together. 
but I got to work at their summer camp, uh, their workshop camp uh, for writers uh, one summer. And I saw the amount of dedication that you all have, um, especially the youth team. So can you talk a little bit about how that organization kind of helped you prepare yourself for your artistry right now? Yeah, it, it created that environment um, and that camaraderie of peers who were interested, who had at the same interest, not only on the writing level, but they're like, you know, how you listen to songs or, you know, a poem, person's poem, that they'll just have things in there for like particular pockets of audiences. So you might have like, I'll draw, I'll have some lines that might relate to animation or cartoons. And like, okay. if, you know, a part of somebody else's identity other than being a writer is like that nerd aspect as well. You can create, you can create that environment where well, you have that environment there where like you can just bond over things like, yo, that's a dope way you wrote that or you wrote like you made that punchline or you formed that like lyrical verse out of like that moment in that cartoon or, or whatever. Like Jacob, you know, Black Shocker got a whole one, one punch man, um, <laughs> a whole one punch man poem. But about like, I think it's about like Donald Trump, you know, one punch man, with, if you don't know the anime, like. Is one, one punches you, you're done, you're, you're out. Like, it's, that's it, you KO. Right. Like, Jacob created a whole poem around that concept, but used it where it's like, what if black, I think it was like, what if black people had this like ability, you know? And it's just like, damn, Jacob, that's powerful. And like, that can, that can reach to so many audiences. So like, as right. a, like, you know, being in that, like you said, it was a battleground. Like we showed up every Sunday at Red Emma's, when it was at Red Emma's with like either poems or like, like workshops. But we were there, mm-hmm. I don't know, we were there to like impress each other as, as well as impress, you know, push our, push, push each other to go further with like our bars. Um, right. I, you know, I think that's where I got, I was always competitive, but then like when it got to words, that's where it really being and do more helped me get more competitive and have more confidence, you know? Um, but it seemed, it seemed so, so healthy. Um, and I remember at Red Emma's when it was on North Avenue, watching you all, and I, I think I asked um, not uh, um, Shinyir. I asked Shinyir, like, how old are these uh, people? And she was telling me how young you all were, and I couldn't have imagined. And I had a mm. whole job and going to private schools, and I still didn't have that level of dedication to my creativity. Taking classes every weekend and after school. And you all were so far ahead of yourself. I watched some of you all, like Grim, I watched some of you all kind of catch up to your age at some point, or your age catch up to you at some point. And it it was amazing to see the level of dedication. And it wasn't until we did that one um, summer camp where, you know, I watched um, uh, the adult slam team as teachers, and I was one of the instructors, I watched them kind of teach you all. And then after class, some of the youth poets would get together and prepare for, I think y'all had some slams coming up. And Mm -hmm. I would watch y'all still, after taking some of the ones that were a part of the camp, still taking the classes. And then after going into the room and practicing with Shingir and and, uh, Slankston and such, and just that level of dedication. You all were 30 some years old before you even got to 21 uh and it was just amazing what did so that and and shingir uh and a number of those uh mentors that you all had did not play with you all and they didn't talk to you like a regular teacher would talk to you all 
Um, how did that prepare you um, to go up to some a lot of these competitions in front of these judges and the competition you had? What? How did that prepare you? So I'll say I didn't. It's crazy. My slam experience compared to my my peers is like probably ten games and then less, like ten games and less. Like I'm like, <laughs> I'll be like, I, I made my wins, I made my wins, and I got out. I was like, peace out. And then I did like the conference circuit and like the open okay. mic circuit, right? And the features, you know, bus boys and poets, and like performing at different colleges. But what I will say, because I, I feel like it exists in both, is like. They didn't take bullshit. They literally did not take bullshit from us. Mm-hmm. And excuse me, I don't know if I can curse. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. They, yeah, they didn't take. They didn't take that shit from us. Like Kenneth, Kenneth Morris, Kenneth Morrison. Going, going by Kenneth something as his poetry name mm-hmm. um, was my specific mentor of that group of the Slankstons, the Breons, uh, the Fire Angelus, and you know the Slankstons. Um, mm-hmm. And like, so w- with conferences, like they just prepared us for the stage. It like really groom is a great word because it's like this is how you carry yourself as an artist and as a poet, like, mm-hmm. uh, and as a performer when you get on stage. Uh, and for I guess for slams, it's like. You know, it's, it, you always hear it a lot. It's not about the points. It's about the poetry. But then what I've learned is like, uh, we're happy you can do this poem and you can write this, these amazing words. But then once you're done being a performer, can you still act like that advocate that you were mm. advocating for in your poems? And that's for me, where I, when I work with youth, it's like, that's cool. Like, I'm happy you can write well, but how are you also living in this way, in, in the way of your art? Because if mm-hmm. you're not then it's like, uh, we got to talk. We got to talk. Right. Like, you can't just write a piece about social justice or about whatever and then fake the phone. You know, and it's something you got to live, live that life. Yeah. And, and in so, terms of, so now moving forward to you then becoming an educator yourself and, and working with a lot of the inner city's uh, youth, uh, what was that experience like? Because people don't know the the struggle of a teaching artist until you step in front of a class and you not, you wasn't ready for it. Right. Well, man, you know, teacher art experience, I'm, I'm looking, but like I'm looking and I'm seeing all the, all the experiences, right? I'm like trying to, I, my first teacher artist experience ever was at like a, was at like a group home. Mm. Uh, and, and also like we talk about young, when we talk about like young people working with young people. Right. Um, but then I'm like, I'm working at a group home and I've never had an experience of ever, I've, I don't know anybody in a group home, never had the experience of being in a group home. Mm-hmm. But it's like, so again, we, we, this whole time we were talking about like, yo, you had to become 30 or 25, 20, fast. Because right. like the homes that people produced in, in certain, those environments, inner city schools, you know, all that. How do you, you have to, and I ain't have a psychology degree, but like how you got to be able to work and you can work with these people as people you yourself could be human yeah i mean like it just goes back to yo i had to grow up quick i went i walked i worked at um the baltimore leadership school for young women i remember Mm -hmm. um we placed third place i don't know if you attended our louder than a bomb um event uh i was a but i was a coach um of of the baltimore leadership school for young women and we placed third Mm -hmm. like all of at the sacrifice of like my young ladies having to go up there and spit pieces about like molestation, like personal, yeah. uh, personal, like, personal. As, as a 19 or 20 year old who hasn't gone through that ex- as a male, who's never gone through the experience. And like, I've known women to go through the experience, but it's like, you had to coach them and help their emotions out. Like they rehearsed, they, you know, had to rehearse that, ex- 
the, bring that traumatic experience back up. So like, yo, it was a lot. <laughs> and it's it, it. I think what a lot of people, I, I think some of us get quote unquote stuck in a teaching artist realm uh, because it's so therapeutic to our own struggles, our own uh, trauma. But at the same time, it is nothing like sitting in front. And these not these are not just high school and college students. These are middle school and elementary school students who are taking these classes. And the moment you circle up and begin to share, they are telling you stories that 40 some year old people would be telling you. And it's it's a it's amazing on one side. But it's so it's you know, I found myself um, I had an all that summer I want to do more. I had an all uh, young ladies group. All, it was all young ladies. And one after another, I think it was like eight of them, all of them had an experience with being molested uh, or, or, or abused in some way. Uh, and it was, it was hard for me to be a theater teacher and not want to coddle them. And I remember uh, Shanir telling me, you, you have to let them use their struggle. Let them use their struggle, give them their space, give them their time, but they have to learn how to use that in a more focused, more determined, more positive way. So it's, oh, I mean, just the stories, and I'm sure you're writing poetry. I'm giving them lines and, and, and asking them to use emotions, but you're actually asking them to write their own story. So I can imagine what was coming out. Uh, somebody who may not have had all of the struggles, but you are aware, if if not, you know, personal, you know somebody who's dealt with some level of struggle, but how have you grown in that? Because I'm quite sure now, even on the collegiate level that you're teaching on now, you're going to have people telling you things that will amaze you because it's not your personal experience. How do you deal with that? You know, you, I don't know, like, <laughs> That even itself is a hard uh, like rope or, or tight rope to walk on because mm-hmm. in, the, in the academic world, you know, in the institutional world, it's like you got to refer these people to this, you know, to the dean or to the um, to the advisor, to the school mm-hmm. therapist. If it's like something like that, which like I do when I worked up at Bard, I was in residence life. We, we would get students almost all the time every month that's like, I'm suicidal for some reason. And it's like, okay, we gotta make sure you get the help you need. But being on the professor's side, I'm I'm still like a mandated reporter in that way. But I'm also, and this is the same with the youth, like a confidant, like I have students who write their essays and will write essays around like topics around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know, you meet with them, what for me, like I'm thinking of one student in particular, like I just, you know, but we're meeting during that one-on-one to talk about that essay. It's not really about that essay. It's just to allow them to, to pour out if they need to pour out more, you know, and I'll be like, okay, you know, yeah, I'll still, is great. right. And I, but I'll still make it about the essay. It's like, okay, this is how you direct it. Cause this is for you. It's really for them. And, and learning it, learning as itself is, is always for the subject, which is the, you know, that person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's tough. Um, but then I think it's really back to the, like the safe space as well. Like being when we were able to flesh out our own things in front of our peers, like it's because we felt like we were safe. And so one of the, the jobs that I have now, at least as a professor, other than being an educator, is also to feel like people can just open up in front of each other, that we, we build a room, all of us mm-hmm. build a room that it's like, OK, whatever we say stays here. 
Like, and we right. that. And we may, I'm telling you, because I'm teaching CCBC, we definitely had some Biden supporters and some Trump supporters. So the election was rocky. But I'm not going to walk away or turn my back to that we're coming up on this election. I definitely was like, yo, let's talk about the election. We're going to have a whole class on this subject. You know, but like it was the way, you know, the sneaky way of kind of going about it. Same way, like thinking about Jacob in that one punch man poem, but it being referenced to like, you know, maybe putting a hit on, on Donald Trump. It's like you got to approach conversations in a way where people can drop that Republican Democrat bullshit and just be like, this is why I believe what I believe. Because even hate has a story, even just like hurt and, and distrust and all the emotions that a person can have. Everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once we realize uh, that everybody has a, a, a reason for being where they are, and it's not just happenstance uh, that I, I believe in Trump, because it could be my parents did it. So this is what I'm doing. The same way, you know, we go through trauma because our parents went through trauma. So understanding that everything isn't black and white, and there's a lot more gray areas in life than anything. Um, I am, it's, you know, and me thinking about interviewing you, some of the questions that I had for you was in that vein. But uh, one of the ones that kept, that kept coming to me was how have you learned how to be transparent in telling your stories and painting your verbal pictures? Or are you there yet? I, I think I'm not there yet. But this goes back to like that cleverness because I don't feel like people can take certain truths and certain people's truths. Like my truths ain't is just my truth. Like Dave Chappelle in a way. It's like Dave Chappelle truth is Dave Chappelle truth. And people will either be offended or they'll see the point that he's trying to make. Mm -hmm. But I think it's back to, again, being clever with it. It's like, let me unveil the mask or reveal the, the, uh, the lift the veil for you, but in a way you might understand. So I don't feel like I've gotten to the point where I've, I really have been able to be fully transparent and or figure out how do I lift this thing without having, I don't want people to walk away because I want them to see the reveal, but like, how do I keep them long enough to, to like mm-hmm. see, to watch, to continue to watch the screen? Like for instance, I had a, um, uh, a kind of like a lecture that I did for the sorority uh, Alpha Kappa Alpha Alpha uh, Incorporated, you know, AKA. Um, and like, I've been reading, you know, I read a lot of, I read a lot of books. And like, one of the things I've always held in me was like, or this book that I have is Not Our Kind of People with like secret societies and um, how, you know, the light skin, dark skin, with how the history of a- the AKA organization. Mm-hmm. It's like, I wanted to do, and we were talking about representation. Um, it's just like, how do I reveal certain things like without making some people uncomfortable? Cause I don't, what I've learned is, it's like, you don't really want to make people, I don't, the point is not to make people uncomfortable is to make people learn. Cause if you I'm make people when they walk away, they're not going to learn nothing. I'm going to tell you, um, at 25, don't worry about it. Yeah. Thank I'm, you. I'm a, I'm a, if, if that releases you a little bit. But by the time you get to 30, you're not going to be concerned with how right. someone sees your truth. And the older you get, for some people, it takes them a little bit longer. Some people, it's it's like clockwork. But I know for me at 30, as an artist, I no longer felt naked on stage, but I felt more empowered 
on stage, uh, when I was telling stories that reflected my life, I, I would still feel anxious. You know, I would still, and, and even on the writing tip, um, a teacher once, a, a foolish teacher told me that I had a phobia of writing. Uh, and that phobia was really me feeling vulnerable in sharing my truth on paper. I, I just had an issue with that. And I don't know how I got through undergrad writing as little as possible. I, I, I swear to you, it, you know, I don't know how I did it. But uh, allowing myself to now, like working on my first book now, the vulnerability, I don't care what you think. And right now you're, you're still at a space where you still have concern because right now as a professional artist, image is everything. But at some point you're going to need, you're going to pour out and you haven't even opened your mouth. It's going to be in your aura. It's going to be in your, your, you, you ever meet somebody who you can tell they've been through life, but their energy is so strong that you just, you can see it without them even opening their mouth. You can see the journey they've gone through and not that they look like their experience, but they just have overcome to a level where they're so comfortable in their space. And we both know adults who haven't even gotten to that space, but how powerful are the individuals who allow themselves to be free, especially as artists is, is it's almost backwards to be an artist who, can't speak freely and we're both performing artists how crazy would that be if i can't be me but yet i'm on stage as a character or you're you are delivering uh in front of a huge workshop of people your story or your artistry but you still can't be free so i'll tell you at 25 don't worry about it by the time you get to 30 on the journey that you're on right now, by the probably before you get to 30, is this gonna come out your truth? Is this gonna come out and you will you will see the words and want to grab them, but they will already be out your mouth. And it's just gonna you. be learning how to balance that so you're not reckless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> like last month I went to this was my first time ever having a clairvoyant experience. Mm. And it's <laughs> Uh, you know, Olu. A deja vu moment. <laughs> right. No. Uh, so for Dumore, because I was working with Dumore, and we brought the clairvoyant in for the staff. And like mm -hmm. she went around and was like, for five minutes, she was telling literally each of us about ourselves. And when she got to me, she was like, they're they're telling you the she. I, I think she was saying like the ancestors are saying, it's my saying in my ear that you are the guy with the keys, that mm -hmm. you open the doors, but you are not. She was like, but you have been quiet. Your mouth has been shut for a long time now which is what i've been telling you like i've been mm -hmm. quiet for since i've left baltimore and mm -hmm. she was like but once you start to open your mouth you will start to free people because you're the guy with the keys she was like so mm -hmm. once you learn that you are that guy right you open your mouth and doors will open and i'm like oh my god <laughs> like it was powerful it was mm -hmm. so that was my first experience but i would have more because that was great did you connect with i mean i understand what she was saying but did you connect that to what was personally going on, or do you understand why you're quiet and you're not exposing, or you're not, um, I'm, I'm not even gonna say transparent, but you're not opening up. Do you understand why you're not opening up? 
I think that's the journey I'm still on. Okay. I think and that that's fair. That's I fair. What you said was I did connect to it emotionally in that moment because I, for me, at least I see this like this is what I've been going through. Like I understand why she's saying what she's saying, but mm-hmm. why I'm still not opening as much is I think what I'm still figuring out. And it's more there. And, and as I said, at 25, don't stop worrying about it. It's going to naturally happen if you're staying in tune and you're going on a journey that you are here for, if you're staying, sticking to your purpose. So don't don't stress over not knowing what it is or or even knowing what it is and not feeling comfortable yet. Don't don't worry about it, because there's, there's going to come a moment where somebody's going to have to say, uh, Derek, shut up. They're, they're ease up on it. You tell them too much. And then you will have to learn how to balance because everybody's not uh, privileged, should not have the privilege of your truth. You know, so it's, it's then it's going to be that that's going to be the next journey, learning how to balance that. Because I had to learn. You can't tell everything, Nate, because sometimes that is, that's a bias against you or the wrong people will learn your information. But don't don't stress over any of that. You're on your journey, but I, I love to speak to writers about their self-awareness because you write so much. And and then how how much of you is in your work? I guess that's my next question. I would say not more recently because I've only been doing I've the most writing I've been doing recently has been music. Okay. Uh, and so I would say a lot. Um, and at first it was definitely superficial. Like I've been trying to write music for at least a year now. So for this whole year long journey from 20, January, 2020 to now, um, it was all superficial, artificial at first raps, but then right. it kind of started to become more personal. In fact, mm-hmm. this line that I had recently that when I was at the studio, my cousin heard it. He had never heard like this, uh, uh, he had never heard this, the line before, but I had referenced that it was, the line was like bank leans. It's hold on. Let me remember for a second. It's like, I've been down bad before the floor started giving. Bank liens took Gibbons. Gibbons is the name of a house that my family, we went through a foreclosure. We went through two foreclosures. This was the second house that went through foreclosure. And so, but when he heard that line, bank liens took Gibbons, he was like, he went, like, he was in the other room. I could see him. I was recording the line and he was like in the other room, like, yo, I remember that. He went through that experience with us because we had to move in with him and my grandmother. And so I think what's, you know, what's really crazy rapping and writing music has actually produced i think way more honest work and personal work than my poetry and i think because you know music can sometimes give like a false uh comfort because you sometimes you hear what the person said but you also listen to the music the 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 melody and you're not hearing the words uh, that's why I'm really big on content and listening to what people are saying. And that's that's one of the reasons I heard you, because you didn't have a lot of uh, ips and aim, aim. And you, it wasn't it wasn't a lot of spectacle around your words. You were great, but you were just talking and you were delivering that you had a stage presence. But I heard what you were saying. And for some for me to connect that with your age, a, a lot of what. I've heard you perform is is um as a another black man it 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 sometimes is hurtful because a lot of people don't have that freedom of expression 
There's a lot of black men, both young and old, that are walking these Baltimore streets, not even the world yet, uh, just dealing with the city, that don't have the freedom to be as expressive as many of the artists that we know, uh, black, black men included. And, and it, it's just heartbreaking because I see a lot of young men, even your age, that don't have the freedom or they haven't given themselves the freedom or realize it's their choice, it's their freedom uh, to be able to express the things that go on in life. And, and talking about any financial issues is embarrassing to anybody. The strongest person would be embarrassed. So just imagine you know, somebody who hasn't realized the freedom they have in expressing themselves. That's why I love teaching people who don't want to be artists because they may still leave my class not wanting to be an artist, but they have discovered that they have a, a something over here that they can do to release when they want to. Uh, what has been the, the most um, rewarding thing about being a teacher? Ooh. <laughs> I think seeing seeing um, when they enjoy learning because college, I, I I'm like I can see the um, the silver lining in things, and I'm also, but I'm all, like I'm on the fence a lot. Mm -hmm. um, college is business. Not everybody. So when you mentioned earlier that some people don't feel like they need to go to college, I agree. Not everybody needs to go to get their MFA because mm -hmm. it's white like private, the where, where I went to get my MFA and I don't know too many like all inclusive number of black people is going to be great. It's diverse, whatever. The, mm -hmm. the curriculum is like for you is not, it's not, I don't know any MFA that is for us. Um, so, and I, I, what I would say a lot of times when I left is like, I don't, I don't know if I really need to spend two years and $60,000 in debt to like learn what I learned there. Where if I had maybe disciplined myself more, maybe did something else, but that's a whole nother thing. I encourage people to do what they want. I'm for to go get your higher education or, or not. But what the most valuable experience is like seeing when they get to enjoy the learning um, and like take part in, and not take part, but invest in themselves more. So like back to that Donald Trump, when we were um, in November doing the, the discussion, one of the things I say, cause I teach writing, essay writing, composition is like, I was like, y'all before, people we as human beings ever were writing with pens we were we were oratory speakers Our yeah. so your essays i was like just imagine your essays as speech i was like and it'll make things just you know sometimes teachers in 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 high school or maybe middle school tell students you write how you talk like that's a problem we'll change that but like let's not try to change that first because at least like you're saying they're getting it out and you know it's crazy about that with black men one of the hardest things for me as a professor was having was I having black men in my class that that unfortunately dropped out and like it was hard to see because it it just I was you know try my best to like get them get them to be like come on we're gonna write this essay or we're gonna do this thing da 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 but it wasn't it wasn't it's hard for me to motivate or not hard for me to motivate because I was trying to motivate but they didn't just latch on to it um, that was the hardest it's hard thing. to receive motivation sometimes. Yeah. Especially when you don't feel you are either deserving of it or for, for a lot of black men, we just don't have that freedom of voice. And we do have it. I'm, I'm going to change the way I speak. 
we don't realize the freedom we have in our emotions and saying when something is hard. Because when we go to the the dean or the chairperson or the therapist at the school and say, look, man, I'm this is hard. I'm trying to work a full-time job. I'm trying to do these classes and something ain't, you know, it ain't working. And when we do that, we are scolded. Um, whereas the women are more so, okay, so let's get back to why you're, you know, they go through the stage, they're allowed to go through the stages of motion. I'm not comparing men and women at all, black men and women. Uh, but it's, it's just, it's hard. I've seen students and, and funny we're talking about this. It, it was a thought of mine, you know, because a lot of, when I ask students to write stuff, if they don't know how to write, because I'm dealing with elementary school students. So a lot of them are still learning the words to to say, let let alone the actual words to write. Um, so I, I think that may be my new strategy to have them record themselves versus write this and and bring it back. Because that may it may help people to express a little bit more because you'll wind up saying things that you would not necessarily say on paper, yeah. verbally and orally. Right. And, and another thing with my college students is like they would hear me talk or they I would write like a mock essay for them and they'll be like, but I don't have the vocabulary that you have or like whatever. And I'll be like, nah, I'll be like, one, don't put yourself down like that. Don't say like you don't have it now. Fine. But that doesn't mean you won't one day have it. It's by choice. And what is it? It, it for you is different from it for me. Exactly. Right. Right. The fluidity. I think maybe they might have. I don't know if they might have known. They might have maybe been talking about the fluidity. But like my honest story, and this is honest to God, you can ask my mom. I was horrible. I failed all my English classes in high school until I got to my, my junior and my senior year. I was reading below my grade. I was reading on a fifth grade level when I was in seventh grade. I like so. And this is not to me being like I overcame. All, no, 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 no. I never thought I would get here. I never thought it was possible. I'm still like. So what was different about that teacher? What do you mean that teacher? That teacher that year. What was different about that teacher? Well, I had an interest. So not in my junior year, my senior year, I had a particular interest in that teacher because he was my baseball coach. Mm -hmm. um, but then he also introduced me because this is the key part. And I always I always will say this to people. And this is why for me, the MFA was what it was. Introducing people to representation. The reason I became who I am, I owe all of it to James Baldwin. All of it to James Baldwin. Like, I picked up his book, read his story, started to watch his interviews. And I'll be like, oh, my God, here's a black man. And then we can talk about masculinity on a whole nother different side of the world. Like, but here's a, here's a black man who I can see myself in and like his parts of his story and like him talk being open. We talk about being open. I'm like, yo, like I needed this going through high school. I didn't really have that. Yeah, I didn't have a lot. I didn't have a lot what, of writers. What schools that. did you go to? I went to city, right? You would think city, okay. you would think city, but I don't know. I didn't feel exposed at that time to enough work that I felt like, um, mm -hmm. like, like reflected identity. And there's so many, when we say identity, it's, it's more, for me, it's, it's, it's race. And then there's so many other things like social class. James Baldwin says in his essay, black English, that as soon as you, um, this is literally about language itself. He's like, as soon as people open their mouths, the problem with language, not the problem. He's like, as soon as people open their mouth, you can identify so many things about them. 
Mm-hmm. How many people might live in their house? What their salary looks like? All these different yeah. things, right? And I'm like, Baldwin was able to open his truth and the way that the way he spoke it, like that inspired that inspired me to be a writer for sure. And so when I'm a professor, well, you know, I'm doing my thing. I'm always trying to introduce work that that people. I'm like, hopefully this can connect to somebody's identity in here. Because if it can break you free, like how Baldwin broke me free, if this yeah. can break you free, you you ain't gonna set no limits on yourself. It uh, you you said that, but um, I follow Iyanla because she's like the grandmama that I lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she said, each time you open your mouth, you inform others of your state of mind and the conditions of your heart. And I've been I've been looking at that that post. I kind of screenshot it and shared it to all my social media. But I look at that in the morning now. I've been looking at that for the last couple of weeks. And I look at it because it it the old me would have been watched what I said. But now I'm watching what I say. And it is a difference in the tone, but it's more so I'm not worried about what I'm saying out my mouth, but I'm actually becoming aware of what I'm speaking because we know words are powerful. They have to seek out the mission of the tongue. So if you're speaking negativity over your life or or hesitation into your life, then that's what you're going to be faced with. You know, but if you have optimism, you know, that's how you become that that rose in the concrete jungle, because you had you had a certain level of optimism that was put into you that you or you went out and sought yourself. Um, And and lucky that, well, you you got onto who your mentors were. Uh, Who were those people that? Well, I'll, I'll ask this question first on social media. I asked the question. When was the first time you had to the black man? When was the first time you had a black male teacher? Who was the first black male teacher you had? Well, how many black male teachers did you have? That's a good. The how many is a is a great question. I'll say my first black male teacher was Mr. Brooks. He was a uh, my fourth grade teacher in elementary school. Okay. Um, how many black male teachers did I have in total? Let me count. Because it's probably, it was one in elementary school, mm-hmm. one in middle school. Yep. And I had my math, my math teacher. Probably in male, not female, so, or a or, uh, uh, black woman. Um, I probably like, I'm a, oh my God, am I at three? So wait, nah, 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 three. I want to say three, maybe four. I might be forgetting somebody, but I'm going to mm-hmm. say three because that's all I can name it. I, the typical answer was one. For wow. me, I didn't have my first black male teacher until I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't even count him because uh, he was trying to hit on my aunt. So I had just like thrown him to the side because he, he wasn't fueling me. He yeah. Yeah, became like the other men that I knew in my life that was just chasing some tail. So I I kind of excluded him and didn't that whole year I didn't pay attention in that class because I just couldn't I, I couldn't fight that image. But most of the people who responded one to two. So we speak about the image of black men that we're that we have in this country and the idea that many of us like you said, on even on a college level, you have so many that drop out. We have so many that don't matriculate for whatever reason. It's, it's no fault or 
blame, but for whatever reason. But representation is everything. Now, once I got to college, I because I chose to go to the blackest school in America, Coppin State University, because I I had to up until that point I was in private schools. So much so that in I went to Archbishop Curley. Our teachers wore the robes with the rope around their 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 waist, like with the Jesus sandals on, the Birkenstocks. Like that's that's how white it got for me, or not black it got for me. So I consciously said, "What's the blackest school that I can go to in Maryland?" And it was Coppin. I had to be that black because I had had been so detached from cultural representation up into the 12th grade and I couldn't do it anymore. Naturally, and I didn't even say that out loud, but I think mentally that's where I was at in life. Um, so it, it really matters. So I love to hear people like yourself going back to their schools or going to teaching uh, because that's representation. You look like somebody you're teaching and that inspires them to say, I don't necessarily want to be a teacher, but I can do that. I can be great in this moment. Uh, what what message do you have for young people right now who are who kind of are struggling with identity and and not understanding uh, how great they are and what their possibilities are? I would say something that I always keep in my mind, mm -hmm. and I don't, maybe it may not relate to the identity, but it's it's just never too late. It's never mm. too late. It's never too late to do anything that you want to do. It's never too late. Um, mm. Like even for me, for, for music, like I'm doing music right now and I'm not, I don't know where, you know, if I'm, I don't have a like, cause I was, when I got into poetry, I never thought I would make it big. Never thought I would become youth poet laureate. Never thought, blah, blah, blah. With music, don't know where that will take me. Don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's never too late. I thought getting at night, I was the oldest person on that whole Baltimore City. You watched this. I was the oldest person. I was the oldest person there. I had everybody beat by a year or two. Mm. I was in college. When you saw me, I was a freshman in college. Everybody else was still in high school. So it's mm. like I was the oldest of my peers. I was, but it was never too late. It was never too late. Yeah. Never too late. Um, yeah. You know, and, and yeah, and like ask for help. <laughs> ask for help say say you need something like that's something i don't speak i don't i don't um i have a problem with a lot is is just uh admitting when i don't when i need something that i may not have and that could be mm -hmm. money that could be somebody's time i call my my partner my girlfriend the counsel she's like i need counsel whenever i'm like i need to just vent or need somebody to listen to these ideas and tell me if i'm going the right path i'll be like i need counsel she's taking mm -hmm. dance taking dance movement therapy so she's kind of like learning how to be a therapist but through movement <laughs> Um, so I'm like, I'm always like, yo, I need counsel. Like, I just need you to listen, maybe, and like, whatever. So um, does that mean there's going to be a Derek movement spoken word piece coming soon? I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe, maybe some choreography to some music or something that she might help me with. Like, we, we can see about that. Because, uh, and that takes us to, uh, you sent me a clip of a cartoon that you are doing the voiceover for. How did that come up? Oh, how did that come to be? Uh, that animation or the poem? The animation. So Shinye's daughter, Lovey Marin, um, she is an animator, and she's going. I think she's going to school for animation, but she, I know she had knew how to do it before school. Mm -hmm. And when I had saw one of her animations on IG, 
I was like, yo, there's this poem I got that just got um, recognized or nominated for this Pushcart Prize, which is kind of a, a big, sort of big writing writing prize, national writing prize. And I was like, yo, like, and I love this poem. And I'm like, I want to like celebrate it by, by pairing an animation with it that tells also the story that I think is so important that we see, you know, it's like, I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word generic because it's something we know about. Um, but more so the piece of Black Sun is Persephone. Like when I was in MFA, this is about the MFA, like I don't know anything about Greek mythology. And Greek mythology for me is very non-Black. Very non, it's just- Well, it's, it's so Black that it came black. from Black. Aesthetic, you're right, you're right, you're right. If you, if you study, if you study uh, Black theater, you'll right. see the origins of Greek right. everything. Right, you where, know, it came from, where it came from was Black. But what we were learning was not about where it came from. Mm-hmm. So, so that poem, I was like, yo, like, I, I just want to paint this how I know. So, the, you know, the, of Hades, um, I forget what, um, I think Persephone is like um, the goddess of spring or the goddess of agriculture or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like the whole story is like when I see the story and then, of course, what's going on in the four years that I've been away, still police brutality, still the same old bullshit in America. I'm like... And then I'm in this white ass space in the MFA. I'm like, I'm going to take this story that y'all know so well. And I'm going to flip it to something that is more familiar to me, which is like every time I leave the house, my mom, you know, it's, it's always the same thing. Of like, you know, mm-hmm. check in, don't drive, don't drive too fast. Be aware of your surroundings. Like don't have weed in the car, like whatever. Be smart, be smart and be safe. Um, and when <laughs> we did the animation, Lovey was like, do you want the character to look like you? And I was like, nah, nah. I want it to be a character that I feel like, I don't know how many people can identify it necessarily. I'm light-skinned, there's some privilege that, that comes with that. But I just, that that decision to not have the character look like me, though it's my poem, I was like, I want to make it more universal, more something that people might be able to connect with if I wasn't in the representation matter. So if I wasn't necessarily that the figure of a mm-hmm. of a You know, I don't know. I think about stuff like that. That's, uh hearing you speak about that it's it's uh, i'm not gonna i keep saying what i'm not gonna do and then i say the word that i'm i want to say but it's sad that we we're in a space where um individuals can't represent themselves Mm -hmm. as themselves for for um for desiring not to hurt someone else and that i love the fact that we are becoming aware of that but I think we're so aware of it that we're stifling ourselves mm. uh, because, uh, yeah, that's that's a that's another thing. So tell me where this because this is just a snippet. Uh, mm-hmm. When will we be able to see the entire project? And because animation takes a little bit of time. But can you tell me, like, what can we expect or when will this be fully released? I wonder what I sent you, because if you saw the minute, the minute mm-hmm. from the beginning to where she's standing at the end in the snow, did you see that part? Uh, no, no. I just saw uh, like the first 30 seconds of it. I have the whole clip I need to send you. Mm-hmm. We have a whole thing out. That is my mistake. I might have sent you the sneak peek trailer or something. But we, we yeah, got I think whole- that's what I think you just sent me the, the beginning clip. That's on me. My fault, Nate. We got the whole we got the whole thing out. The whole thing is released outside. I'll share this tag man sure. and I'll share it out for you. I, I I love it. I love old school animation, not like everything so perfect, but 
But I, I just like the imperfection. Like I like the original Simpsons, where it was just a little off, just a little crunchy. Uh, <laughs> but because it makes you pay attention to what they're saying more. When the when the spectacle is bigger than the content, the verbiage, then you you kind of it kind of goes back. But what do you want people to get from watching this or listening to it or hearing it? Hmm. Hmm. Or what's your hope that they because you can't really predict what somebody mm -hmm. will take from it, but hmm. I just hear the words, you know, hear the words and see the visual and, and you know, and whatever. I just want them to feel something um, and uh, and then maybe feel inspired to if they want to one up it or create their own content, because I can't I don't I don't not I don't know what somebody will think or how they'll feel. But if, if it moves you enough to create something else, maybe inspired by this work or inspired in the similar lane and fashion of that work. Mm -hmm. My job, my job here is done because I mean, it, you know, what I create is what I'm going to create and it's not going to be for everybody. So somebody be like, that sucks, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to like, then that's, if I've inspired you to have that kind of reaction to then want to do something and create a, a you know, a poem with, with mm -hmm. content that might include that of uh, Greek yeah. mythology or whatnot. Wonderful. Cause that's what inspired me. I saw this right. Greek mythology was presented to me. I was like, slap in the face. Let me flip it. So if somebody else wants to flip it, cool. We're gonna keep flipping this, and it's gonna get more attention. I just—that's the movie that I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for people to show us the origins of this Roman and Greek culture, uh, and show us the real African uh, root of that uh, with our Eurasians, and 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 do something. We have a lot of—we uh, actually have a play based off of Greek mythology with black actors, but I, I want us to see the origin of it and. And, and this was kind of when you when you were speaking, I, I saw that happening. And I'm I'm surprised nobody has taken a liberty in creating that. We have all these Xena warrior princesses and but nobody has ever thought, let me tap into some of this Eurasia or this African culture and, and kind of put word to that that mythology, if you will, or that that kind of lore. Uh but uh, in terms of uh, where you are right now, do you have any projects coming up or anything that we can uh, talk about? I know you are one of your poems is in a um, competition right now. Right, right. right. So the uh, Black Sons Persephone is right now being nominated for a Push for Car Prize. I don't know when. Like the publisher nominated me, and I asked them, like, you know, is there a timeline for this process? Will <laughs> I find out from? And I mean, what they told me was a little unclear. So I'm just going to give mm -hmm. that timeline this whole 2021 and we'll see what happens. Um, but that's in the works. Uh, my brother and I, I'm a twin. I don't know if you know I'm a twin. Um, I didn't know that. I'm a twin. We're both Libras. 16 is my number. It's a great mm -hmm. number. It's a great okay. number. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we've, been, we've been writing, you know, songs for like the past year. Uh, we okay. actually have a, a song that's going to be coming out soon. We got to put like the copyright on it. We already purchased the, you know, we got the beat and we already recorded it. We're just making sure that when we put it out, that it's like official so we don't get sued or, or none of that if somebody could take it or whatever. So we just want to be safe with it and do it the right way. But it's called Blue Green. Um, and it's just like a, you know, it, it got like a trap beat to it. It's, I think, it's, I like the song because it's definitely different. Uh, it's something that's 
out of pocket, I guess, from maybe my normal like spoken word poems that you would have heard, or even this poem that that we were just referring to. Mm-hmm. But it's called it's called Blue Green, um, and it's still like lyrical. It still like has like for me what I like about it is like it still has the wordplay that I would have like in poems years ago. Like it's the wordplay is still there. Um, so those those things still stay with me. But um, that is, oh no, I got a reading, an informal reading for a play. My homeboy is uh, has this informal reading for a play on Sunday called Split Bean. I'm playing a homeless dude, which is great. A homeless college student, which who doesn't, who has to like scrounge for food. So I'm like going to tap into some personal, some personal scrounging for food memories. Right, um, your, your hookup special days. Yeah, I got exactly. you. Yeah, and then I, um, I'm doing this play. I'm mean, not this play. This uh, poem. I'm creating this poem uh, for this, and it's actually in the. I think it's in the name you have on Facebook, Vashti. Vashti Blue. Vashti Blue, but but it's this character from the Bible. Vashti. Vashti. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. so my girlfriend Aja is playing her in this uh, movement piece. And okay. Choreographer who did the piece was like, it'd be really dope if you wrote a poem about the queen. And I'm like, okay, all right, like this is, I'm not familiar with the character, so I got to do some reading. Um, but I have that coming up as well. Vash, I was a, it's, it's, and most people don't know that that, like Vash, Tom McKenzie, that's, that she's a, a, a bishop now, but that name has a lot of weight uh, in the Bible. So I would, I would definitely, it would, it would, I know it will inspire somebody, her, her story, her personal story. It's kind of why I connected uh, my jewelry company. That's my jewelry company to that name. But um, I, I'm, I'm very proud of where you come from. I, I want to hear more of your story. That's one of the reasons why I wanted you to come on, because I wanted you to share a little bit. Because I think out of all the poets, the younger poets that I've, I was following, you were the one who who just started showing up and 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 doing things, but no, if you're outside of your circle, of course people don't know who you are, and uh, that's what this platform is for people to be able to for people to be able to share their story and just tell people who they are. Money is really tight right now. We're in a crazy pandemic, so I want to know my money and my time and my energy is going towards individuals who think like I think. We're in a political struggle in this country yet again. Uh, so people want to know who they are. And and artists are now, artists and entertainers and celebrities are having to drop that facade and that curtain and come from behind that curtain and really show who they are. Uh, people want to know who that person is at the core of all, all the talent and all the hoopla that's around and surrounds them. And I like the fact that you're trying different things now and you're not just, oh, well, this work, I'm going to keep this thing going until the wheels fall off of it. But just recreating yourself and just stretching as an artist, because you'll learn more about yourself uh, in your stretching moments than you do in your safe moments where you just in your pocket and you're doing what you do best. Uh, So I can't wait to see uh, and listen to the music come back on. bring your writing partners and your, your music partners and, and such, and y'all can vibe out. And I'm always willing and open to um, uh, helping other artists. And just hearing, I just, I, I like to hear stuff. I've been in a bubble for the last year or so now. So I'm, I'm ready to, you know, get back into uh, the art of it all. Um, as we close out uh, the show, uh, one of my last questions that I always ask all my artists, um, what 
advice would you give to your 17 year old self? And what question would you ask your 100 year old self? Oh, what advice would I give to my 17 year old self? Listen to me more. <laughs> like, listen to me more. Mm-hmm. Like, because I feel like at that time I was, and you know, things happen in crazy ways. Like sometimes I'll like, it could be somebody that I know talking to me and I'll, but I'll be like, man, that's God. Like I needed to hear that in that moment and God or some spirit is speaking through you right now to deliver that message to me. Mm. Um, because like, I can remember like my, still my friend, uh, Muhammad, like used to like, can, it hurt my feelings back then, but he was like, you go to like all of our mentors and you know, always ask, seek advice. He was like, but why don't you ever just go to yourself? Why don't you ever just sit with yourself? You know, you don't got to always ask. You can just listen. You know, and I was, at first I was like, I carried that with me for a minute, but I was like, nah, I needed to hear that. Like, I need to just find. Trust yourself. And, yeah, trust myself. Um, so at 17, 100%, I would tell myself that. And then at 100, I'll ask myself, did I listen? Mm. So these these answers aren't finite. So they they aren't the end all be all. And I always suggest that the people who I bring on ask yourself this question in five years, in mm. twelve years, in odd intervals. Like when when big things happen in your life, ask yourself those questions because it tells you a lot about where you are in that moment. The mm-hmm. question that you would ask to your one hundred self, one hundred year old self, is normally the space that you're in right now. Uh, the the advice that you would give to your 17-year-old self is normally the struggle that you're in right now. So it, it says a lot about where you are and that answer will change. Sometimes it'll go backwards. Sometimes it'll go forward. Sometimes it'll go up and down. But uh, it will change as you grow. Your, your advice will change and your questions will change. Because uh, you have to know something in order to ask a question. So you'll you'll know a little bit more and your question to your 100 year old self will get a little bit deeper. You know, um, uh, as we're closing out Black History Month, uh, can you name that one person in history, whether it be somebody you can touch or somebody who was just a distant uh, creative in your uh, in your aura? Uh, who who has inspired you the most? Yeah, I mean, I, if it's okay that I say James Baldwin again, okay, like, okay, James and, I, and it's so crazy. I was I was watching um the interview. I don't know if you've seen the interview with him and Nikki Giovanni, they, mm. where they did it in London. It's like two part. It was on Soul. Yeah. Um, yo, like listening to him, um, I was just like, damn. Like, if there's one person I wish that was still around today that I could, if you know, if the question was like, get a coffee with, learn from, attend this, the symposium, yo, it would be Baldwin. It's so scary that he was. He could. He just saw ahead. I feel like ahead of his time. Like mm-hmm. he just, and one of his messages he was saying to Nikki is like, it's not. A, it's about. It's always about the children. She's like, whenever you're doing something, just think about like how they're gonna inherit it. it, it that's me paraphrasing it. How he says it, of course, is like masterful. Um, but Baldwin, Baldwin, and 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 open your eyes and your ears a little bit more because Baldwin exists in a, in people that I've come across in this city, uh, he exists in this city. Mm-hmm. And it may not be his whole aura, it mm-hmm. may be an essence of who he is, 
but we've had professors, we've had um, we've had mentors, we've had fellow artists that kind of embody that image. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his speech was was know your history, don't be afraid of it, uh, don't be ashamed of it, and, and speak your truth. So mm-hmm. that was kind of the essence of who he was, uh, and and being unashamed uh, of who he was and how he was and where he was and where he came from. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you'll have that and, and look at yourself and see how much of you is is connected to who and, and what you love about him. Find mm-hmm. those qualities in you and you'll you'll start seeing them in other people. Um, I, I hate when I get to this point because because you're younger. I'm, I'm talking like this, but, you know, I, I didn't have people talk to me like this. I was surrounded by a lot of people who were in their own space and didn't necessarily look like us. So when I get a chance to talk to anybody, I just normally speak from my experience. So I'm really proud of what I've seen you accomplish. Um, you've done a lot in 25 years, sir. So take a break. And, and just bask in that. Not too much of a break because we want to see more art from you, but um, just just relish in, I know you know how far you've come, but really look at it. Like, look at the timeline and 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 be, speak your truth no matter what. But don't worry about it yet. It's going to come. It's going to come. Uh, but this has been the Artist Exchange Radio Show with the phenomenal uh, Derek Ebert. Uh, you can find him on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Are you on Twitter as well? Not on Twitter. So tell people real quick how they can find you. We'll close out in that way. So you can find me on, on IG at think underscore Derek James. You can also check out my website, DerekJ.com, uh-huh. just je.com. And then Facebook is just Derek Ebert. And I don't normally ask ahead, and I should because it's very rude, but can you close this out with a poem? can close you out with a poem. Uh, I don't have any from memory. Do you mind if I quick pull one up? Do what you gotta do, sir. So while you're pulling up something, uh, up next is the Cocktail Social. Uh, Tune into that. And don't forget the Binge Worthy podcast every Tuesday uh, on YouTube, the Artist Exchange page. Um, And don't also forget We Are You Radio Morning Crew Monday through Friday out of Atlanta. You hear me talking, wearyourradio.com. And don't forget, like, share, subscribe to Be Exposed Radio. Donate, if you will. Uh, and the lovely uh, Ebert, the awesome, phenomenal uh, Derek, is going to close us out with a, with a little saying, with a little word. Whenever you're ready. I got you. I'm moving because I got these dual screens up. <laughs> So, huh. They're both short. Maybe I could, I mean, if you want, I could read two of them or I'll just read one. Go ahead. Okay. I'm going to read the first one. It's called Others Will Try to Dress You Too. Okay. Others will try to dress you too. And whatever they tell you, ignore because being someone else is expensive. I'll tell you carelessly how I've looked for myself in department stores, and in each rack found emptiness clothed in a new gown. And for what it's worth, all life may be is the God inside of us waiting to surface harmlessly like a submarine after war. And I too wear my battle scars more than clothes just to prove my skin is hugged by what's tried to kill me 
but couldn't. And now, and now, no, wait, I'm sorry. Yeah, and now I've grown up to love myself and my locks are an extension of me like hangers holding up good clothes. And now I try on smiles and they fit me instead of falling off. And in the distance where the eye can't see past the blur of today, shrouding the future quietly is a place for you too, ready and bursting with joy like a summer well spent searching tirelessly for reasons to laugh, unbothered and free like a kite veering across the sky without worry. And isn't that all you want? Xylophone colored teeth, yearning to play a beautiful song, to unzip your deepest fears and let them go. So that's a poem others will try to dress you to. You want me to do another one? I could do a few more if you want. Uh, but we got time for, oh, we got time for one more. All right. This one is about, I'm gonna just read it. It's called Above the North Canadian River. It's after a poem uh, by Terrence Hayes. Okay. Below their graying feet, the yawning river, a familiar spectator watches. Its murky mouth, like America's history, mangling the neck of a body forfeited air. Attached to the rope, a mother and son hang, their bodies cast to the water, bait to draw the races. They appear above the river, wearing black hats like dark halos, a cold swarm of grins. If there is a God, where is she hanging? Mother, creator of sons, now but a name, the sun's chest, an empty space with a message to witnesses. Seek life elsewhere. It's a poem. If you ever look up a postcard from Okima on Google. Okay. Uh, I mean, warning, um, it's of a lynching, which is what Terrence Hayes' poem is about and what this poem is about. Uh, but that poem was from that image of that, because it was the actual postcard, mm -hmm. you know, of above the North Canadian River. It's so, crazy. so don't be a stranger. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that uh, to the entire cartoon uh, or uh, uh, animation that you created with that lovely young lady. Uh, and and send me your work. I'll definitely share it out for you um, whenever you have events coming up or projects coming up. Um, definitely always out to support. And thank you again for joining me. And I appreciate you coming out and taking the time tonight. Um, any last words or anything you want to say? Thank you for having me, Nate. This has been wonderful. Anytime, anytime. This has been the Artist Exchange Radio Show. Thank you again, Derek, for joining us. Uh, continue to sports. Continue to share out. Uh, if you are an artist and you have a voice and you 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 want to talk, you want to share your your artistry with uh, the Artist Exchange and myself. Uh, definitely hit us up at the Artist Exchange Radio Show at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram. Uh, as well as Facebook uh, at the Artist Exchange. So support, eight years and counting. We're still going strong. We're going to continue to go strong. Uh, thank you to all of our supporters. Thank you again, sir. Uh, much, Many blessings and uh, uh, love to you for, uh, for coming on. And that's the Artist Exchange. So we're going to say peace out. Peace out, people.